We're nearing the end of 2021, and that means we're nearing other ends as well. The first season of Undisciplined, a podcast that is a collaboration between the University of Arkansas Department of African and African American Studies and KUAF, and produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore, ends with an episode released today. Last week, we asked the host of Undisciplined, Karee Banton, the director of the Department of African and African American Studies at the U of A, about the first season and what she discovered over the course of the first eight episodes. That I quite like this, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Can I go back and major in journalism or something? Can I get another degree, Kyle? Um, <laughs> I think you probably could, yes. <laughs> um but uh, it underlined a couple key things that we had set out to really bring across to the audience um, in relation, you know, in terms of the relationship between what we do in black studies, right, African African-American studies, and um, how that intersects with what people in other disciplines, be it history, political science, um, or people in the community are doing in their activism work or, you know, different programs um, in their jobs or what students are doing and thinking about. So it really underlined a a few key things that we wanted to highlight, right? And I believe we started out by talking about that Pursuing black studies, right, or African and African-American studies, um, gaining that knowledge, that using that undisciplined approach, right, we're very much an interdisciplinary program, right, is, is to help prepare people, you know, the students we teach, the faculty who we have, to examine and explore and analyze um, experiences, um, of African descended people from a variety of perspective, right? Um, and we talked about um, how you know the there's a we we approach this in a, a kind of um, a, a series of habits of mind that um, uh, we emphasize in 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 Black studies, right? So we emphasize intersectionality. Um, you know, we we look at uh, the ways in which distinct categories of identities, um, you know, are re- reflects different um, interlocking relationships of power, um, and uh, you know, be it race, gender, class, sexuality, where you are located geographically. Right. Um, intersectionality helps us to really analyze how these categories relate and interact. I don't know about you, but whenever I have an idea that I'm really um, enthused about, it helps if other people are enthused about it. And what I heard in the first eight episodes, the first season, were guests who were right on board. They they were with you on on this sort of interdisciplinary Absolutely. You know, uh, I think um, that has a lot to do with the guests who we've had thus far, um, both scholars, students, activists, people in the community doing all kinds of different work, 
are people who have taken on, you know, even scholars, scholar activists, right? It's a vocation. It's their life's work. So the kinds of passion that you have to put into it, it's totally different from, say, a, a different kind of class where um, by virtue of how black studies or how black people have existed in the United States, you ne- one necessarily has to take on this kind of activism for black people to be seen, to be recognized, right? So uh, it's you're doing community work, right? That has its drawback. You know, mm-hmm. um, people tend to think that if you're so deeply invested, you're, um, there's an emotional connection and you cannot be objective, right? But I mean, you know, uh, what's going to keep you going writing a book <laughs> for 10 years if it's not passion, you know, for you to be deeply steeped and engage and be thorough in your research if it's not this kind of passion that is driving you. And for a lot of black people in whatever space they find themselves, you know, they have to, um, you know, take on that 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 task for the community, right? And and even students, I think the value um, that they get from these courses, in think courses in terms of the undisciplined way that the program operates, right? You you think about you know knowing yourself, right? Um, and when we talk about undisciplined, you can know yourself from the inside, you can know yourself from the outside. All these different perspective, right? Um, this kind of undisciplined um, perspective might you know, really give you some kind of truly daring ways to think, um, not just about, you know, course material, but also think through the material, right, um, and really expose um, students um, and, 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 on, and our audience through this podcast about how to analyze and how to make meaning, Right. Mm-hmm. How to understand and to look at the world. If you're an accountant, sure, you might look at money this kind of a way, but a historian might look at it this kind of a way. A person in literature, you know, a person in art. Right. S- social worker. Social worker. Look at right? it you know what I mean? Way, yeah. I mean, if, I, I, one of the things that recently, I think a couple of years ago, I saw was actually some of the first money. And you would look at it and you see slaves on the actual bill. Right. On some of these money that artists have been like recreating and how artists have been reconstituting, um, you know, putting black people in history. Right. And putting them as regal and, you know, helping us to rethink some of those things. One of the things I loved about this first season, too, you mentioned the different perspectives, whether it was an academic at UCLA, Mm -hmm. an artist in Fayetteville. I think there was a conscious effort on your part to go geographically wide, uh, generationally wide. And experience-wide. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're going for lessons that will stay with people um, for a long period of time, right? Sure, you'll get some stories and facts and figures and, and so on, but it is the thinking, right, how you can think creatively through this kind of an undisciplined way um, that um, students or audiences will discover that, Things that they previously thought about, they can rethink it, or things that they thought had nothing in common 
um, have, you know, actually a lot in common. So, for instance, um, in the eight episodes that we recorded, um, if we look at music, Mm -hmm. for instance, um, you know, we had different guests who talked about music, not deliberately, but they we see different disciplinary approaches to music. For instance, um, Dr. Scott Brown at UCLA, who looks at, um, you know, Dayton, Ohio, as this kind of musical hotbed of soul and funk bands in the 1970s and, you know, have been written and writing about funk as a musical style, exploring its commercial popularity in the 1970s and 80s. Um, look at, uh, you know, how the community aspects of, of, of these kinds of funk bands, right? Um, and the complex relationship between the, the local community, socioeconomic and political construct um, conditions, right? If you're playing in your um, in your town and you have a band and how that structure the community economics, you know, um, the kind of black self-contained bands and, and the radio station have, you know, playing your band and, you know, the broader market, how that affects the broader marketplace of music. So people like Slave and, um, you know, all these other um, funk bands of that period of time. And then also he, he is a writer and producer of music himself. Right. Under the title Scottronics. So that gives us a different ways. And he's a historian. Mm-hmm. Right. So Dr. Baptiste at the University of Arkansas in the political science department look takes a different look, um, interdisciplinary um, um, disciplinary look at music. Right. He's written about the relationship between Pan-Africanism and rap music. Right. So his research looks at black political attitudes as reflected through political rap. Right. So if you can look at fight the power. Right. Or uh, where does African Bambada and the Zulu Nation, where do they get their their names from and the symbolism behind that? Right. So um, he's able to take this traditional area of political science where you think you're looking at the speeches of senators and you're digging through minutes and diplomatic correspondences, but looking at music as a way of conveying the messages. Um, and so uh, for people who, for instance, think that this generation, um, you know, they're politically, you know, apathetic to, you know, uh, whatnot, he explores music to show the kinds of what he calls hip hip hoptivism mm-hmm. um, of this generation, how they express that through music, how they express their politics through music, right? Um, you know, are, how do we answer the question of, of are the millennial generation, are they civically engaged, right? He sees music as a lens through which we can understand that. So um, using political science and then using music as um, a way of exploring that He's able to approach that in a different way than Dr. Brown at UCLA. Dr. Valandra, who is a social worker, uses music to process trauma, her own trauma, but uses it also as a form of advocacy for the marginalized groups whom she encounters in her discipline of social work. So just that... Um, um, Using music alone, we see how different disciplines can approach that through a variety of ways. Now, uh, there were other uh, issues that came up in the podcast, um, I think, throughout for uh, some of our guests. For instance, um, 
you know, who is the narrative authority, right? Um, you know, and we've seen um, the various ways in which uh, different people and disciplines work through um who is the narrative authority, right? So journalism, right? Who do you go to for the story, right? right? Um, history, who do you center? Who can you center, right? Do you go to uh, the archive that was created by the slaveholder to ask the story about the slave, right? Um, so we saw that question um, come up. And then for black studies um, also existing in a space that is previously dominated by white supremacy. Right. Um, if you look at the University of Arkansas, for instance, from its inception, um, it has more history as a white supremacist institution over 90 years. Right. More more than an inclusive one. Right. right? If you looked at that last talk from Professor um, Chancellor Steinmetz. Right. And so if we also look at the fact that black people as um, are both objects of white supremacy, right, as well as the creation of imperialism and colonialism um, and the, the kinds of histories and the stories of the stories that they write, right, the kinds of um, constructions of blackness that we have is perhaps one that keeps the white voice dominant. Right. So how do we work the through The default. All? Yes. Yeah. The white voice is the default voice, right? I have to remind my students all the time about this. Sometimes when they meet, when they do in fact mean white people, they write people. Mm-hmm. So whiteness come to occupy that whole category, right? And um, that becomes, that's how you make the default, you know what I mean? And so um, in this kind of context of white supremacist production, right, um, where black people uh, are not afforded that history to speak and to write and to leave records behind, how much work from this kind of different disciplinary perspective might be needed to get those voices from out of the shadows as well as to give our audience a valuable education, give our students a valuable education, because not, we're just re-inscribing that white supremacist education. You mentioned you enjoyed this. Yes. I also know you have a crazy workload. (laughs) Were you able to keep this enjoyable and not another task? Yes, I was able to keep this enjoyable because I don't know, I guess I was just talking, you know, one of the reasons why I became a professor was because I thought I could trick the system into like just me learning all the time. Mm. I could learn. I learned from my students. I learned from people who I encounter. So that mindset is what makes it enjoyable. I'm like, I have, oh, I want to learn. What are you doing? I want to learn that. I want to know more about it. I'm a naturally inquisitive person. I want to know more things. I don't know why I'm just storing arbitrary facts in my mind. But, you know, that's what makes it enjoyable for me because I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to have to use this information on a plane or something. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that because, and I've got a couple of decades on you, I think. 
But it comes in handier and handier the older you get. Absolutely. These things you've stored away, and even if it's a conversation starter, boom, there it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many, you know, um, how many times I've been like in odd places, whether just walking and just talking with a stranger or, or with someone and just random pieces of information that I've read or in talking to other people or, you know, that I've learned from students in my class or from guests on this podcast. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that I just feel fulfilled. Like, you know, I get to use it. You've mentioned audience a couple times. Have you heard from audience? Absolutely. I hear people, you know, um, and I'm just like, every time they're like, I listen to your podcast and I get a little squeamish because <laughs> I'm like, ah, you know, that when we started, you know, um, Matthew had to. Matthew uh, Moore. Yes, Matthew yes. Moore, the producer of this podcast and my co-conspirator, <laughs> uh, you know, he had to repeatedly in- reassure me that my voice wasn't as annoying as I thought it was, you know, so whenever people tell me that they're listening to the podcast, that was the first barrier that I had to like really um, cross. But, you know, usually they are fascinated by something the guest said or, um, you know, um, that was, you know, the perspective that was discussed on the podcast. And we're, you know, we can sit and talk about that as well. So it becomes another conversation piece um, that is like you're, converse, um, you're continuing the conversation from the podcast. All right, I've just got a couple minutes left, and I'm going to ask a really odd question Okay. Do you ever, when you're engaged in a really interesting conversation, and and I'm asking you this because I know you're an athlete, (laughs) do you ever get endorphins? Like if it's if you're running a marathon or anything, can, can conversation the do that? dopamine? Yes, the dopamine. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Okay. I mean, Kyle, I'm a talker, right? Right. I mean, as my students, my classes always go over like talking about this kind of thing. You know, really. Uh, um, Shoots off the endorphins, you know, um, the the dopamine. It's, uh, I mean, passion. You were thinking about if you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you really love. So, you know, I hope this message goes directly to my family who tend to, like, get a stroke whenever anyone says anything about blackness or race around them. And they think that I'm going to go into a spiel that they are really blocking my happiness. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they're killjoys. But... But, but um, um, you know, I love, I love, I'm in the humanities because I love human beings. I love studying the human condition, right? Um, I love looking at different human experiences. And as I said, Black Studies is the perfect vehicle to allow us to understand this, whether it's from art, whether it's from um, political science or from history or psychology or from social work, I really enjoy understanding um, who I am, who uh, we are as a community, who we are as a nation, who we are as a people. So um, I, I enjoy it all, Kyle. Dr. Karee Banton is the director of the University of Arkansas Department of African and African-American Studies at the University of Arkansas. She is the host of the podcast, Undisciplined. The last episode of the first season, which includes material from this season's guests that didn't make it into earlier episodes, is available today. Undisciplined is produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore. It's available through all major podcast distributors. By the way, a second season already in production will begin in early 2022.